welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. Well, we're in the book of Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. This is, I think this is week 10 in the book of Ephesians. And um, anyone remember week 1? Two of you. Thank you. Anyone remember week two? No. Week one was more memorable than week two. But we are in uh, week 10, and we are in chapter five of the book of Ephesians. In fact, this is the second to last look at Ephesians we're going to take this year, uh, at least this year in 2019. We'll jump back into the last chapter uh, next year in 2020, and, uh, which will be absolutely great. Uh, and we've enjoyed journeying through this book. Um, I've enjoyed journeying through this book, if you haven't. And um, I want to talk to you from what the Apostle Paul has to say in, in chapter 5. I've entitled this message this morning, Under the Influence. Under the Influence. I don't know whether you've ever been under the influence of something. Um, I remember a few years ago when me and uh, Rachel we were out in uh, America and I was having all, all kinds of trouble with my wisdom teeth at the time. And uh, I had to, I remember I had to have all my wisdom teeth out while we were away, all four at the same time. And I was getting all kinds of infections, they were pushing through. And so they, they, um, the church that we were a part of there in, in Illinois uh, took me to the dentist and, and the dentist uh, said, yeah, we're going to take them all out. And I remember going into to the dentist um, that day, uh, not really uh, understanding what was about to take place. And uh, I remember him uh, putting me uh, under anesthetic. Anyone ever had anesthetic? I've had anesthetic before. I've had a, a, anesthetic operations. I've been in the hospital. I've had general anesthetic. And I'd rather have general, anybody else, than local. Don't give me local. Give me general. Knock me out. I don't want to remember it. I don't want to think about it. Like, I don't want to see your face as you're operating on me. Just put me out. And uh, they put me out. And I remember waking up. And uh, I don't remember anything about the sur surgery, obviously, because I was completely unconscious. Uh, and I remember waking up from the surgery, and, and literally, I have never experienced anything like it. They walked me up in the chair. They patted me. I'm coming to, like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit woozy, a little bit wheezy. I don't really know what's going on. I'm like, who are you? To the dentist, who, who are you? Looking at him. And uh, he, he said, oh, okay, let's get up out of the chair. Like, literally got me up out of the chair. I'm letting this dentist chair, got me up out of the chair. Opened up the back doors of the, the operating theater, which was to the outside. And outside was my wife, Rachel, and my friend, Ricky, waiting for me to bundle me in a car to take me off. And uh, I felt like I'd been on a trip. Like, like literally, I'd been drugged, smuggled, and now I was being let go into another country. And I walked out of there all staggering. My, my face is all swollen. I look like a hamster. Some of you are saying, what's changed? <laughs> my, my cheeks are all swollen. And, and, I'm, and I'm trying to, like, you know, get in the car, open the door. I go home, and, and I'm, I'm a little bit giddy. A little bit giddy and, uh, and a little bit silly. Can't really remember uh, much of what's happened other than, whoo-hoo-hoo, this is awesome. And then the pain kicked in. And I went from being under the influence to being in reality. And uh, here's what I asked for, ice cream. Just give me copious amounts of ice cream and I'll be okay. And those of you who've, who've had operations, you, you understand what it is to be under the influence of anesthetic. You understand what it is to be knocked out, what it is to, 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 to kind of deal with uh, coming round from that and the effects that it has on you as a person. Some of you would be able to, in this room, 
We're not going to take a survey or a poll today. Some of you would be able to tell us about what it's like to be under the influence of other substances. And, uh, and I would be able to tell you that as well with my teenage years and, and different substances and that kind of stuff. And, and to be under the influence, to be under the influence of something is to be controlled by it, influenced by it, affected by it. Uh, and when we turn to Ephesians chapter 5, what Paul has to say to us is, is he wants to talk to us about what a life under the influence of God looks like. And he makes some comparisons between maybe some Im- other influences and yet the influence that God has by his spirit on your life, the difference it should make. And he talks over three things in, in, uh, in chapter 5 that I want us just to, to kind of skim over this morning and then we're going to create some space at the end. The first thing that he wants to talk to us about is when we're under the influence of God, first thing we do is we follow the example of God. When you're influenced by God, you follow the example of God. He starts chapter 5, verse 1. He says this. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For, this, it, for, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolatry, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Pretty heavy stuff from Paul, isn't it? For a Sunday morning. Here's, here's the, the main thought in those few verses that Paul's trying to get across to us. Is that now as Christ followers, as people who are under the influence of God, you're to follow God's example. In fact, the crux of the Christian faith and the Christian experience, once you've come into an understanding of who Jesus is and started a relationship with him, here's the crux of the whole thing. Imitate Christ. That, that literally the word Christian, it means mini Christ. That's what it means. So if you would call yourself a, a Christ follower, a Christian, what you're saying is I'm a little Christ. In other words, I'm trying to be like him. In fact, it was a title that was attributed not uh, from Christians themselves. It was a title that was given to the culture because the, the, the Christ followers that came after Jesus were trying to be like Jesus. And so it was like a kind of, a, oh, look at these Christians, these mini Christs. These little Christ running around trying to do their own thing. What Paul says is actually that that's a really true goal and reflection of what our lives should be. That we should imitate the one who's gone before us. Not, not be com- competitive with those around us, but imitate the one who's gone before us and who now sits above us. Be imitators. Follow God's example. 1 Peter puts it like this. Chapter 1, verse 15. It says this. Just this is what Peter says, but just as he who called you, who is Christ Jesus, is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter and, and Paul in, in Ephesians, Peter in 1 Peter, 
Here's what they're trying to get across, this idea that now, as followers of Jesus, we should look and imitate him. Paul spent the first part of Ephesians, the first three chapters, talking to us about the greatness of God and the impact of Christ and who he is. He's talked to us about how our inner life should be shaped by him. And now he wants to talk to us in, these, in the, the final three chapters about how now this inner life, the work that God's doing on the inside of us, should be evidenced in our actions and in our life. He's not saying that the actions that God calls us to in imitating his example are a work of salvation. But they are evident as salvation is worked out in our life. So first, Jesus comes into us, transforms our hearts and our lives on the inside. And now as a work of that salvation, we are now to show it by the way that we live. Should be evidenced in the way that we conduct ourselves, according to Paul. The example that he uses is as children following their father's example. I don't know about, about you and, and your kids. It's just amazing how sponge-like they are and how much they pick up the stuff that you do. Uh, in, in our house, I'm always, because I can never remember the words to songs, I just make up words to songs, which drives my wife crazy because she's a musician and wants everything correct. And I'll, I'll make up songs about stupid stuff around the house. I'm not going to give you an example of that this morning. We're not going to do that. But it's crazy. Uh, my youngest child, Phoebe, who's probably the most likely in nature, she's four. And, uh, and she is hilarious. Hilarious. In fact, she started making up her own songs. And Nana this weekend uh, bought her a, a unicorn outfit, a unicorn onesie. So she, and it's a hood, it's a, a little bit big for the hood. She pulls it over her head and pretends she's a full-on unicorn. And she's running around the house, galloping around the house like a unicorn, making up stupid songs about stupid stuff. I think it's awesome. And my wife looked at me yesterday and said, she is just like you. I looked at her and said, you say that like, like it's a bad thing. I'm hurt. I feel it. It's amazing how, how, how quickly kids just pick up stuff. And, and here's what Paul's saying is, is as a child of God, who, who now has understood who God is, start to imitate him. Start to act like him. Here's what Spurgeon says. As we do imitate God, we become representatives of God. Especially before those who have shut God out of their life. What are we sent into the world for? Is it not that we may keep men in mind of God, whom they are most anxious to forget? If we are imitators of God, dear children, they will be compelled to recollect that there is a God, for they will see his character reflected in ours. I have heard of an atheist who said he could get over every argument Except the example of his godly mother. He could never answer that. What a powerful quote, hey? That when we embody the nature and the character of Christ himself, that we become a living, breathing example and testimony for those who are around us. I don't know if you've gone any, done any Christmas shopping yet or whether you've... Uh, gone to, to Trafford Centre or some of the big stores or maybe gone down Manchester and you're walking into Selfridges or Debenhams or somewhere like that 
and you've got all around the shop, you've got uh, those people who are testers. They kind of just set up in the corner and as you walk by, they squirt bits of perfume on a little piece of paper and they hand them to you and they give them to you and the, the idea is that you would take that little tester and that you would smell the aroma and the perfume and the aftershave that is on that little piece of paper and that you would then be so compelled and drawn to go back and buy such a beautiful scent. Here's what God's done in the world. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he left his church. And he left his church like little pieces of paper that have the scent of Christ on, the aroma of heaven. And he allows us to then walk through this world and for people to pick up some of the scent of God. Here's a question for you. What do you smell like? What do you, just sniff the person next to you. <laughs> what do you smell like? We're to be testers in this world that give off a flavor of God. That's why Paul's taking the time to talk about how we live, how we act. Because he wants us to understand that we have a role, we have a job, we have a responsibility. And he says this, he says, we're to imitate the example of Jesus who loved us enough that he gave himself up for us. So what's the example that we're to imitate? To give self up. That's a challenge. Anybody else? It's a challenge to lay down yourself and to live for him. It's, to it's a challenge to lay down your wants and live for his. But that's the challenge. That's how God says the love of heaven is shown on this earth by men and women who will lay down their selves because everyone has a self in here. Everyone's driven by a self and literally to, to, to be killed, to die to self and to live for God. Here's a key question for you. It's in your notes. And we're not going to talk extensively about this morning, but this is a follow-up question for you. What does it mean to give self up? What does it mean in your life, in your context? What does it mean to give self up? He goes on to talk to us about how when we've given self up, then we'll turn away from certain actions. And he lists them in that first half that we just read. He lists the stuff that we won't give ourselves to any longer as an effect of giving up the self. The second thing that Paul wants to talk to us about in this portion of scripture, not, not only are we to follow God's example, but as we follow God's example, he tells us there'll be evidence. So there's an example and there's evidence that now we're living under the influence. He says this, verse eight, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. I love this part. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. What a great aim. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out and do it. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul has many things to say about the church in, to, to the church in Ephesus about how well they're doing in their journey with God. But here's one theme that we touched on in week one and week two that Paul keeps coming back to. He keeps coming back to this truth and it's almost as if you can see it evident in what he's saying. He's saying, wake up. In fact, when you flip forward to the book of Revelation, Revelation, Revelation chapter two, and you see what Jesus has to say to the church in Ephesus. He says, these things you do really well, but one thing you've forgotten, you've forgotten your first love. Come back. And what Paul's trying to do in the letter of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus and, and the message that he shares with us as well as we read and approach the text is this, you started off so well, but you've just got off track. And he's trying to pull them back into this understanding. You are children of light, not darkness. And here's the big theme of the book of, of Ephesus. You can be in Ephesus without Ephesus being in you. That Christ, you are in Christ now. You're not in Ephesus, you're in Christ. And wherever you go, your state remains. You are in Christ. Here's the challenge for me and you. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. You're in the world, but the world doesn't have to be in you. That you can live as his representatives in this world, as children of the light, not darkness. And you can illuminate everything around you because your principles are different, your values are different, your morals are different, your perspective is different, your heart's different, your life's different. Not in an arrogant and better than you kind of way to those around you, but in I've been touched by the light of God. I don't know about you, I've been, I've been in dark places. I remember, I remember before Jesus came into my life, before I accepted him and acknowledged all that he'd done, I was in some dark places. I remember as a teenager, I can still cast my mind back and think of some of the rooms that I sat in and some of the things that took place in those rooms. And the only way I could describe it now is dark. I remember some of the things I gave myself to. I remember, it, in, from perspective now, looking back, I remember some of the gods that I worshipped. And I remember how self ruled my life. And here's what Paul says, think back. That was dark, but now you're in the light. I also remember what it's like to sit in a church service and for the first time, the light of God to really shine into my life and heart. I remember to walk, walking forward that Sunday and I remember what it was like, like, like literally a, a washing and a cleansing. That the dark has been washed away. It's been exposed. And now I can shine for God. Not perfect, not got it all together, but determined to allow the light to shine in even to the dark recesses of my soul and of my life. And Paul's reminding the church Come on, church, don't give yourself again to the stuff of darkness. Don't pick up that pattern of thinking that led you to dark places, but allow the light of God to shine in so that you can be a visible difference in this world. He says, don't give yourself to the fruitless deeds of darkness. The fruitless deeds of darkness are literally like rotten fruit. They look good on the outside until you bite them. 
And then you'll understand this thing. You, you try eating rotten food, rotten fruit, and still being well and able and fit the next day. You try giving yourself to all that kind of stuff and still maintaining a, a, a positive outlook on life and a godly view. It's like the piece of fruit you pick up, it looks good on the outside and you bite into it and it's full of worms and it's rotten and it's disgusting on the inside. Some of you are wincing this morning. Enjoy your lunch. This afternoon we're serving, what are we serving? Apples. <laughs> Not rotten apples, good apples. It's like that, that rotten piece of fruit. And he said, the picture he's painting is that's what the, 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 the deeds of darkness are like. It's like you're picking up the fruit and expecting to be well and healthy of rotten, dysfunctional fruit. But then he says, no, no, no. There, there's a different fruit. And he alludes to the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Listen to these fruits. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love this little statement. Against such things, there is no law. Literally what Paul's saying, no one ever, in a society, in a culture, no one ever made a law against doing good. We legislate and we have laws, what? To protect us from the bad and harm. He says, against such thing, there's no law. In other words, knock yourself out in these things. Like, do as much of this as you want to do. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh, their self, with it, its passions and desires. We're going to look a little bit more deeply at, at these fruits of the Spirit in our connect groups this coming week. But as you head into that this week, I want you to be thinking, in, in what what maybe one or two of these fruits would I like to see increase in my life? That's a good thing to begin to think, isn't it? What, what, what of these good fruits, what do I want more of? What do I want to be seen in my life? He goes on, he says this, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. He says that this should evidence itself in the fact that you take, you and me as Christ falls, take the opportunities that arise before us. Now in the Greek, there are two words for time. And, and here are the two meanings for, for the two different words that, that are used in scripture for time. Number one is this, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Literally the physical time. The second meaning for time is this, it's a definitive portion of time. It's a time when something should happen. When Paul's speaking here, he's not talking about making the most of every minute, every hour, every day, every week, although that's a good thing. What he's talking about is seizing an opportune moment. Here's what he's saying to the church in Ephesus. There are moments that pass you by that if you're not intentional in looking for them, you will not maximize. He says, live as wise, take opportunities that come before you at work, in your home, with your kids as you're putting them to bed, the conversations you have, the opportunities that surface themselves, grab hold of them. That's what people who have been touched by the light do. They're looking for, hungry for opportunities. Galatians 6 verse 10 says this, therefore, as we have opportunity, same word, 
let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And wouldn't it be different if we started looking for the opportunities God is putting in our days and in our lives to do good to other people? Here's a key question in your notes before we move on. How can I maximize the opportunities that I have or get for God's glory? How can I maximize them? How can I make the most of them? Because Paul says those who make the most of those opportunities are showing the evidence that they have been touched by the light. The third thing and the last thing that Paul has to say in, in the first half of, of chapter five of Ephesians about what our lives should look like under the influence is not only should we follow the example of God, not only is that evidenced in our lives, but actually there should be an effect upon us that takes place. He says this in verse 15, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, listen to this, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking, verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses a comparison between two things. He says, to, in, order, in order for us to understand the fullness of what it means to be under the influence. He says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting compare and contrast, isn't it, from Paul? Don't, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled. In fact, a, a more accurate English translation of be filled would be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. To constantly desire, seek, and hunger for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Think about the contrast Paul uses. Don't get drunk on wine. What does, what does the effect of, of alcohol in abundance and excess, what effect does that have on our life? Well, the, the first thing it does is it causes us to, to, when we're coming through it, arrive at a point of pity, self-pity. It causes us to arrive at a point of poor judgment. You know what I'm talking about? Some poor judgment. People start looking better. Come on. You singles, we used, to, we used to have a word for that when I was younger, beer goggles. Poor judgment and pretense. In other words, that you would start to act in a way that you are not, don't have a natural disposition for. Alcohol, when we take it in abundance, it gives us two things. It gives us comfort, a false comfort. Really what we do sometimes is we're trying to mask the pain that's on the inside with a bottle or another substance. True? It gives, us, it gives us comfort and it gives us a false confidence. When I when I take that, when I drink that, it just gives me a false confidence because now I can be something other than what I am. David Guzik says this, he says, the one who is filled with the spirit will also be filled with thanksgiving. A complaining heart and the Holy Spirit just don't go together. He's saying one of these things, alcohol, is a counterfeit for the real substance and person that should influence you, the Holy Spirit. 
he says you're substituting one spirit with another. In fact, there's a, there's a story of when Alfred Noble discovered um, an explosive substance. He turned to his, his friend who was a Greek scholar for a word that would explain what this substance was. And the only word that the, the Greek scholar could give him was this word dunamis. And, and from the word dunamis, Alfred Noble took that word and he started to use it as dynamite. Where we get our English word dynamite is from the dunamis. What's the dunamis? The dunamis is the power, the same word for power that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus says you will receive power, that Greek word there is dunamis. It's dynamic, explosive power to live differently. You don't need another substance. You need the Spirit of God. You don't need another bottle. You don't need to stick something up your nose. You need the Spirit of God. You don't need to inject something in your, in your vein. You need the Spirit of God is what Paul's saying. That's real power. That's real power. In fact, there's a story of, of a bank in, in, in America who, who were having all kinds of trouble um, with counterfeit notes. So they decided they were going to take two weeks out of the, the calendar and they were going to teach their, their staff how to spot counterfeit notes from the real stuff. And here's what they did for two weeks is they didn't, they didn't let them look at a counterfeit note once. They didn't do a study on what a counterfeit note looks like. All they did for two weeks at the beginning of their training was give them the real stuff. They got familiar with the real they knew what it looked like. They knew what it felt like. And the evidence showed that as they'd encountered the real stuff, not the counterfeit, not the fake, the real stuff is that now when they were in their job and position, when the counterfeit note came, they could spot it a mile off. Because they got so accustomed with the real thing that anything that tried to present itself other than what was pure and what was true, they could see it and they could sense it. When you live your life filled with the Spirit of God, you won't fall for any old counterfeit. Here's what Paul's saying. You won't fall for anything else. When you fall in love with Jesus, when you're filled with the power of his Spirit, you will not fall for anything else than the Spirit of God. Here's what a counterfeit is. It's made in the imitation of something else with the intent to deceive. Let me just say, there's a lot of counterfeits out there. There's a lot of stuff in this world there are a lot of substances that will try and get you to depend on them. Even relationships. Just counterfeit. There's, on, there's, on, there's nothing that can take the place of the Spirit of God at work in the heart and life of a believer. Nothing. And here's, that's what Paul has to say to his band if you want to come and get ready to finish in just a minute. Here's the truth that, that Paul's trying to get us to understand don't fall for a knockoff when you can have the real thing. Don't fall for a knockoff when you can have the real thing. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, and here's the contrast he does. Alcohol affects your behavior in a negative way sometimes. The Spirit of God affects your behavior in a positive way. Alcohol will have, cause you to have a lack of self-control the Spirit of God will give you self-control. There's a difference between the two. One takes, one gives. Paul says, which one do you want? 
be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, you'll think differently, you'll act differently, you'll feel differently, you'll look differently. It's not just momentary change, but it's lasting change over time. Here's what the Spirit of God wants. He doesn't just want a visitation for you to encounter Him once a week, maybe on a Sunday or in a moment of time. He doesn't just want a visitation. He wants habitation. He wants to live in you. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to counsel you. He doesn't want a visitation. I'll come every now and then and see you, Holy Spirit. He wants to live on the inside of you and me, constantly changing us from the inside out. I don't know about you, here's what I realized, that in order to live the life God's called me to live and to, to, to know the real leading of the Holy Spirit, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do a depth of work in my life. Not a surface level work, but a depth of work. Because there's some stuff that I've been through, that you've been through, there's some patterns of behavior that you've given yourself to, that I've given myself to, that it's going to take time for the Holy Spirit to free us from. Now, I know the Holy Spirit in an instant, in a moment, can change things and shift things. But Paul says, be constantly filled. And I think he says, be constantly filled because he understands that we need, we need to be submitted to in cooperation with, in relationship with, aware of the work of the Holy Spirit constantly in our lives. Christmas is coming round, and for some of you, you're going you're gonna to be making that Christmas lunch. And then for those of you who aren't privileged enough to have a dishwasher in your house, some of you get the faithful job, if you didn't make it, of washing up. Some of you make it and wash up. We bow to you this morning. And here's what you'll do. If you don't have a dishwasher, you'll fill that sink and you'll put some washing up liquid in there and you'll start taking the plates through and you'll wash that stuff off and you'll put it on the dryer, clean, ready to be used again. But then you'll come to some utensils that you've used, some dishes that have been in that oven, that have literally been sat in that oven with food in for hours. And it's almost as if the food has attached itself to your oven dish. And you'll come to wash up and you'll arrive at that point and then you'll put it in the bowl and you'll start scrubbing and sweating. And if you're anything like me, after a few seconds, you get frustrated. Oh my goodness, I'm never gonna get this off. I'm never going to get it off. And then here's what you'll think to yourself. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let it soak. I'm going to let it soak. And what you might do is you might turn the hot tap on or you might boil the kettle and you'll put the washing up liquid in there in abundance. Because now you're feeling good about yourself because you're saving yourself a job later on. You empty half of that bottle of washing up liquid in that thing. And then you pour the hot water in and you quite pleased with yourself, skip away from the kitchen and partake in the chocolate that the kids got for Christmas, which they're not going to know they got because you're going to eat it. And then you come back maybe a few hours later, maybe you leave them all night and you come back to that thing and the, the thing that was caked and stuck and stubborn and you couldn't shift 
you've, you've not acted, you've not done anything, but all of a sudden you come back to it because of you positioning it in a way that would allow the washing up liquid and the water to do a work that you couldn't do yourself. And you come back to that thing and you put it in the sink and you blissfully, instead of scrubbing and sweating now, you wipe it and it comes off. Because it needed to soak. There's some stuff in your life, in my life. There's some stuff that God will deal with instantly. There's some, some, some stuff that will go, that's gone. And after a while of walking with God, all you'll be left with in terms of the things that you give yourself to that you shouldn't is the stuff that you really like. The sins that you don't like are gone. And what you're left with are the sins that you really like. And what it takes is a work of the Spirit of God. When you give yourself to Him and you position yourself and you allow Him to deal with the pride of your heart and the pride of life. And you, and you allow Him to start dealing with that habitual way of thinking or that act you give yourself to that for a moment makes you feel better. And you start learning what it is to draw strength from Him acceptance from him power from him not the stuff well the only way that can happen is you've create you create the, the space and you create the time to allow the holy spirit to soak you that's the end of this week's podcast we hope that it inspired you for any more information visit bravechurch.co.uk